Are you ready to be transported back to 1800s high society London? Because season three of Bridgerton is now playing only on Netflix. This season follows the story of the Tons resident wallflower, Penelope Featherington, as she undergoes a journey of self-discovery and empowerment where we see her truly blossom. Penn's emotional transformation takes centre stage as her friendship with the charming Colin Bridgerton evolves into something more. For those not yet acquainted, Colin, the charming younger brother of the Bridgerton family, is about to turn Penelope's world upside down. Mm, This is the ultimate good friends to lovers story. From those initial butterflies to when both parties realise there might be something more between them, watch Bridgerton Season 3, now playing only on Netflix. When we lost the game over there, it was only one goal, but we didn't really get a chance to review or talk about it as a team because, like, the reality is what is there to talk about? Like, the game's finished, but... For me, I really struggled because I didn't get a chance to talk through like what we thought had happened, like what I thought I might have done well, what I thought I did badly, which was a lot of things. And then you come back and you just sort of be like, I'm so overwhelmed. But when I got home, it was just like almost like a grief and it took me a while to sort of get back into the swing of things. Hello and welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. Today on the show, we have the delightful Joe Weston. For those unaware, Joe is a goal defence for the Australian Diamonds netball team and has been a star of the Melbourne Vixens since she was basically a teenager. Here, we talk to Joe all about what life is like as an athlete, her heartbreak and guilt overlap after a big loss, and the work she thinks needs to be done in the space of women's sport. Joe is a total legend and we think you will really love this chat. Here she is. Joe Weston, welcome to Shameless in Conversations. Hello, thank you for having me. Thank you for having us at your lovely, is it new home? Uh, Yes, I recently purchased this apartment and I've only recently semi-moved in. I say semi because I don't have any gas. I also don't have all of my belongings yet, but have a couch. Who needs gas or belongings when you've got walls? (laughs) Joe, you and I go way back. When would we have met? Maybe like 14, 15 yeah, I think it must have been a netball trial of some description. Yes, and shout out to like Mark Parizio if he happens to be listening to this. He was our what, – what was Mark's title? He would have been uh, like rehab and conditioning – strength and conditioning coach. It must have been something like that. And I we think were- we terrorized him for like a good three or four years because we were just so rowdy. We used to play netball together to those listening. feels like a lifetime ago. It would have been – our later years of high school when we were at Monash yep. together. And we were little rats. Yeah. Were you a little rat or is this you trying to look no. back on the time with rose-coloured glasses being like, we were so rebellious? <laughs> I think it was Joe and I when we were together were just very, um, I don't know, how would you describe it? Oh, almost like excitable. I think yeah. it's that age. You were you from like so 15 is. and you're like, you think you're the, the hottest shit ever. And he was probably like, oh, not again. These like rowdy, chatty girls. But it is a bit like that, especially at that age, either at sport or at school when you've got like groups of girls that are very close. We like and they do get yeah, mm. it's the yappiness. Chihuahuas. <laughs> Is that how you pronounce that dog? A couple of chihuahuas. <laughs> oh my god, you just had a you spiraled then when you said chihuahua. You could see in my eye that I had a whole lot of regret about trying to spell that. <laughs> so yeah, we've been I guess friends for ten years and then we yeah. went to uni together. Um, I did commerce at Melbourne. I used to see Michelle around struggling for an arts degree (laughs) degree. no literally walking alone I felt like I had no (laughs) friends in university I had no friends either I did manage to make three really good friends somehow even though I was barely at uni and they just welcomed me in so I'm very lucky isn't that lovely? Uni friends are great, underrated. You need to, some of us take longer than others to find some. Joe, we start every episode in the same way, and that is to ask, what are you reading, watching, listening to at the moment that you Ooh. would recommend? That's a good question. Or uh, not recommend? Not recommend. I read a book. Um, I was in Sydney on the weekend. It was Eleanor Oliphant is Completely ah, Fine. Great book. Yeah, just sped through it. I really enjoyed it. I wanted to know what happened. I feel like it was even though it was somewhat self-explanatory with her Mm. her backstory. It's an interesting book, that one, because I think a lot of people either love it or struggle through it. 
I was somewhere in the middle. Sarah McDonald. So Michelle gave this book to me a couple of years ago. It had been a year ago when we were at work. And she was like, this is one of the best books I've ever read. And I have to say, I found it very slow. Caveat to that. I said, it's the, one of the best books I've ever read until the last couple of pages where I didn't really love the twist. What did you think of the twist at the end? It did seem a little bit kind of un, almost unfinished. Yeah. I was like, are there more? That's what I feel like that's what so many books have. Like I read Normal People while I was away and I was like, where are the more? Where are the pages? <laughs> <laughs> that ending is hard. That's, you're like, um, oh, my God, this is one of the ones where I need to, you know, concoct an ending <laughs> in my head myself. Yeah, that's a hard one. I have to say, I think we had a thread in our Facebook group about um, Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine about six months ago and it Ooh. went off. Like there were hundreds of comments with people's opinions on that book. Like it's so divisive. There you go. I'm a bit late to most book parties. <laughs> no, that's I'm currently, I just started Boy Swallows Universe. Oh, I, I have not read that this book. This comes <laughs> up in every in conversation and I say the same thing, which is that has been sitting <laughs> on my bedside table for like sitting six months. There. I haven't started it. How is oh, it? It's pretty good. I'm enjoying it. I think especially if you spent a bit of time in Brisbane, you would relate to it as well. And then I'm trying to think what else. Oh, I've been watching Shrill. Oh, oh my God. Another one I really oh, need to watch. Me too. Really good. I've only it? got one episode left. They're pretty quick and easy to watch. And yeah, I've just sort of sped through it. There was one episode, the pool party one, where I started crying the other day whilst watching it. There's a scene in it, which I just thought was really beautiful. And perhaps I'm just a little bit hormonal or something like that. <laughs> I always think that when you start crying out of nowhere, it's like, is it me or is it the show? Yeah. Was the pool party scene? I look, I haven't even watched it, but I watched a really long extended trailer and there was like all different body sizes. Yeah. Was it that? Yeah, and AD, um Brian's character, Annie, I think she's probably just felt very ashamed of her size for the majority of her life. And it was just, I know it was kind of revolutionary for her to finally see all these people, all these women owning their size and there yeah she just like strips off to her babe I don't know I loved it <laughs> you can start crying just tears streaming down your eyes maybe <laughs> Joe the second question we ask in every interview is what was your childhood like what were you like as a kid what was I like as a kid um well I was born in country Victoria or country New South Wales actually in Corowa which is just across ah. the border and then my dad's family is from just outside of Bright which is in Alpine Victoria so we moved around a little bit to Rutherglen to another property and then back to Eurobin, um, which is where we still have our farm now and then I moved to Melbourne when I was pretty young so it must have been like four or five and yeah pretty normal I grew up um in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne and I was a very sporty kid you Shock. don't say loved exercise <laughs> loved being outside and I've also got two older brothers and they're a little bit more on the the nerdy side so we did spend a lot of time playing video games <laughs> in my my later uh, childhood years did you have quite good like hand-eye coordination like was that notable from a really small age because you know but you know you see kids when they're like four catching a ball and you're like you're gonna be good at sport oh you I always had pretty good I remember like when you were a teenager because Joe was lanky like I was lanky Joe was taller than I was by a f- probably <laughs> half a head the kind of netball you'd watch and be like is she gonna break on the court yeah. oh that was probably I was so skinny yeah. when we were teenagers but you grew – I remember thinking when we were quite young that you had grown into your body very early on. Like 14, 15 is when lots of kids have had their growth spurt but aren't quite coordinated. <laughs> you weren't super coordinated but you're more coordinated than what you probably think looking yeah. at how tall you were. So I young. think so. I had a lot of da- – I did a lot of dance lessons when I was younger so I think that helped a little bit of the coordination and long limbs. But I still think I'm growing into my limbs. Um <laughs> Oh, it must be so hard being tall, you guys. Yeah, it's awful. <laughs> Have you ever felt self-conscious about your height? Uh, bits and pieces. I think when I was younger, I found it really um, difficult. But albeit I wasn't the tallest girl at school because I had my growth spurt quite late. So I wasn't someone who was like 13 and a foot taller than all the boys. I probably grew when I was about 15. Mm. Um, so that probably was a little bit more fortunate. But I did sort of probably overtake majority of the taller girls in our gear level. Um, a little bit, probably more social situations, but I think you kind of come to terms with it mm-hmm. over over age. I do feel a little bit awkward still on occasion, like if I wear heels or things like that and your boobs end up at people's <laughs> eye levels. Yeah, they'd be, they'd be over my head. Because you're 6'2", for those who haven't yeah. seen you, you're quite tall. You're not like gargantuan, but taller than the average person for sure I do think I'm quite lucky that I do fall into the category of like super tall but not like whoa (laughs) tall (laughs) we can see you're coming from a mile away (laughs) well you're quite academic as well I mean you just said that you went to Melbourne to study commerce Mm. you're a sporty kid how did school and academics play 
in all of that? Um, yeah, I really liked school. I think I was pretty good at math and then English somewhat. Um, in year 12 though, I probably have, um, quite a good memory and I don't think VCE is very good for people who have good memories. So the subjects I did, which were like psychology and PE, which I enjoyed, I really loved chemistry as well. Um, they just kind of cater for people who can remember like large passages totally. of information. It's so, like rote learning, right? Yeah. So much of it is great for year 12, but might not be super <laughs> applicable in other li- like other um, areas of life, unless you just want to shoot out statistics about different joints and parts of the brain. Statistics about joints. Not statistics. <laughs> maybe, maybe facts about, I'm thinking back to what I learned in year 12 PE and psych, because mm. we did lots of the same subjects and yeah, I don't remember lots from what I did. But at the time, yeah. you just accumulate a whole bunch of kind of useless knowledge. Unless it's you're true, go though. I did revolutions in year 11 and people still ask me about the French and Russian revolutions. <laughs> and I tell them, like, <laughs> my knowledge of this revolution is the same as yours right now. Like, that's how far out of my brain it is. Yeah, but I did really enjoy school. I found it kind of gratifying because I got quite good marks. And then, yeah, I did apply myself to a certain degree in year 12. I think, I, yeah, I'd probably fall into the camp of... Um, I found it um, a good level of challenging. Then when I went to university, I really struggled because I found school really easy. (laughs) Was it also hard for you in university because you were playing netball a lot and it was kind of less of a priority? Like you knew necessarily you didn't need it as much? Yeah, so after I finished year 12, I actually moved to Canberra. So I got offered a scholarship at the Australian Institute of Sports. So I asked my mum if I could move to Canberra and I think she thought I was crazy. Um, As if I look back, it probably was uh, that's a bit concerning. Who would want to move to move to Canberra as a 18-year-old? Not a whole lot going on there. But the first two years when I was at university, I was only probably there for um, like a month period and then I would go back. So I did find it very difficult and really struggled because I never went to any classes. Was that something that kind of threw you off a bit? Because I'm the same and I know Zara is the same that did pretty well in school, got good marks, got into a good uni. And then once I was in uni, I felt like I was treading water in university. Yeah. I felt like I couldn't get good marks. I felt like I was completely untethered from everything. And I think if you're quite a regimented person in both competitive sport and in high school, it can be really disorienting to go into university, right? Yeah, I did find it really challenging. I did awful. I think I failed like more than half my first year subjects, which I ended up having to redo. And I missed, like I would miss um, the first few weeks of class and they build on the concepts you, you learn initially. So I just really struggled. And I also never went um, because I was, <laughs> so it took me a little bit of a while to find my feet, but when I finally did, I did really enjoy, um, the course I did at Melbourne uni. And I think, yeah, it's held me in good stead for what I pursued after. Obviously everybody knows you for netball and for sport, but I wanted to ask you before we get into all of that, who are you outside of the netball? Like, what do you do Ooh. in your downtime? What kind of, like, what makes <laughs> up you in the weirdest way of learning that question? Yeah, that's probably been, I mean, personal identity, I think is something athletes struggle a lot with and I guess we can probably chat about the fact that netball is now my full-time job but I used to only probably be a part-time athlete and I think that's helped me find who I define myself outside of sport um, a little bit easier like I um, I don't know like I love um, going back to our farm I love reading I love hanging out with my friends I love hanging out with my dog Billy who's unfortunately not here where is Billy (laughs) I thought she's Oh my god, Joe, you can play a dog here because you know that I don't like dogs. I feel terrible. Oh, Zara, fuck you. We could no. have had a dog right what, here. What kind no. of dog do you have, Joe? Um, Billy is like, she's an Australian Shepherd. She's like your friend's dog. Australian Shepherds. Um, the, where's the jacket? Yeah, yeah, Gizmo. Yeah, she looks Sammy's like dog Gizmo. Gizmo. But she's a very excitable dog, and I think if people don't like dogs that much, they would hate her because she's like. To Zara's a lot. credit, she has come so far, leaps and bounds. I shook a dog's hand the other day. You did. Wow. She sent me um. She sent me a photo of her with a dog to be like, I'm improving. We're on the road to recovery. Okay, so no dog here, but no. the dog does make you happy. Oh yeah, that's probably one of the best things. As soon as I um, like, I haven't been working as much over the last few years, and I've just found a full time job in becoming a. Uh, I was about to say, do you know? Okay, canine, um, like dog, like sitter. But do you know how you're talking about on the episode of Monday about words you mispronounce? (laughs) Get this. There's two. The first one is I didn't realize until I was 18 when I moved to Canberra and someone asked, we were talking about what your, you know, your funny hotmail email addresses were when you were a kid. (laughs) Mine was Joe underscroll funky bear and they were like what's an underscroll and I was like you know like the punctuation that's like 
underscore. I mean, I feel like Funky Bear's not getting enough airtime right now as well. Underscore. No, and they get this. A couple of years ago, oh I was living God. with one of my friends from Uni Aurora and we were making dinner or something and I was like oh can you just go into the cupboard and get me the canine pepper <laughs> and she goes, she's looking and I was like and she's like it's, I was like it's spelled like k-a-y and she pulls it out and she's like you mean the cayenne pepper and I was like the canine pepper this is my favorite thing to come out of the podcast it's the best thing that's ever come out of the podcast ever because everybody comes up with the, the most random ones now <laughs> holy shit so yes I do so spend good. a lot of time with my dog I'm borderline obsessed but that's okay because she is my fur child. You know? It's a good way to be. Why yeah. why netball for you then? Oh, I don't know. I played a lot of sports when I was growing up, as lots of kids do. Um, I played tennis pretty competitively and I loved dancing. I still love to dance, probably just not um, in classes, just on dance floors. Uh, but I love the team aspect of it. That's what it's always been for me. And I have two older brothers and I have a whole lot of male cousins. Like I'm the only granddaughter in my extended family. So I think for me, it's always been the real female, female bond, um, which is really special for me. And I love it. Like, What are those relationships like with the women that you play with? Mm -hmm. Because I imagine they're not just your colleagues. They're also your friends. But also I imagine there's this huge element of intimacy that comes with playing professionally (laughs) with someone. Like you are bound by something that's a little bit bigger than just a job. What are those relationships like? Yeah, we do spend a lot of time together and it is like emotional up and downs. But yeah, I've made some of my best like best friends I've ever had through sport and I think we share something which is very different to all of my friendships from school or university. And it's it's probably hard to put your finger on it, but I think it's I mean all friendships kind of drum down to what you experience together and elite sport is that real cusp of all the emotions, all like the physical and I guess psychological pressure that comes with trying to perform. And I guess we go through a lot together and that makes our bonds really strong. Can you talk us through the everyday life of an athlete? What, during the season, you're in the off season, or you're on a break at the moment, right? Yes. Yeah, a couple of weeks break. What is it like though when you're in the thick of it, which mm-hmm. would be what? Would that be like April, May time? Yeah, so our season runs from about April to well September. We did have a four-week break in the middle of this year because um, we had the Netball World Cup over in Liverpool. But and every um, normally we play on Sunday, so Monday we spend – um, in recovery and review. So um, we spend a lot of time looking back over footage from the game, trying to continually learn as a team and individuals. Tuesday we might – Tuesday or Thursday we normally have off, like mm-hmm. a complete day, or we do gym on one of those days. Uh, Wednesday is our big training session for the week, so that's when we're out on court at the State Netball and Hockey Centre, a classic. Um, we normally play a couple of practice quarters and do a lot of tactical stuff. Friday we have another training session so we do taper towards the week and then if we travel we fly out the day before the game and then we play then we come home and then you rinse and repeat and there's sort of different bits that come up like normally we might do one or two media things a week Um, I might have like an appearance or a clinic um, and that's really about it. How do you go with the individual feedback? Because I can imagine there would be like team-based feedback and then one-on-one with you and maybe a specialist coach Mm -hmm. or the head coach. How is that? Uh, I find it really beneficial. I'm probably quite harsh on myself. Um, So for us, I play in defense for people listening who might not know. (laughs) Um, We do a lot of work and unit is very important to us, especially the connection I have with our circle defender. Uh, They do look at our statistics in terms of reviewing that and also like our input in our whole um, team game plan. So um, I find it really beneficial. I think it's always really great to learn. And I think the best thing about sport is that you kind of know when you haven't done a good job so you can kind of brace yourself if you're going to get um, potentially more negative or constructive feedback. Constructive yeah. feedback is the <laughs> yeah. important the term. Way. Yeah. What about though after a game if you haven't played well, what's the drive home like? Or the flight home yeah. in some scenarios? Yeah, we, we just lost a game on uh, Sunday in a final and the flight back home from Sydney was pretty um, pretty average, I will say, and even just the feel in our change room after. Oh, it's... I don't know. It's hard to put your finger on it. Majority of the time, it's just like disappointment. Um, That's what I find really tough to kind of process, especially when you feel like you've let um, your fans or your teammates down or your coach down, especially like I find that really hard to hard to bear. When we're talking about like a a day in the life of an athlete, how does 
being an athlete bleed into your everyday life when it comes to food? Like I imagine your social life during the season looks different to the average social life. Is that a fair assumption or is that completely unfair? No, that's pretty fair. I don't have much of a weekend because we play on weekends. And unfortunately, as much as I've sort of been angling for a Friday night game for a long time, we play Sunday afternoons, which means you can't really do anything else for the majority of the weekend. Food wise, yeah. Friday night games would be great. Thank you. I would come and watch on a Friday night. <laughs> it would easily. be easier to go or more appealing to go on a Friday night than it would on a Sunday Here's afternoon. Here's the public pitch. Yeah, well, I, I think they are trying to change the demographics a little bit. So um, outside, I guess, netball bleeds into my everyday life a lot more because I'm vice president of our Players Association, so I do a lot of work with them. And then I also sit on our um, competition committee, so that looks at what they think about scheduling and imports and what the competitive balance of the league looks like, which I find really interesting. Um, and I think if they're trying to target more uh, like 20 to 30 demographics Sunday afternoon, especially if you're hungover, you don't want to be somewhere where there's lots of screaming kids and a very abrasive whistle yeah. uh, from personal experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think they're trying to find the right balance between the two in terms of trying to um, get fans to games, etc., and all that sort of stuff which comes with building the sport. Coming up after the break, how Jo feels about her career having an expiry date. But first, a word from today's sponsor. We'd love to hear about the psychology of sport a little bit more. How do you deal with, number one, the pressure? And if you're going through a form slump, say, or if you have had a bad game, what are the types of things that you do to pick yourself back up? Oh, yeah. Um, I do work quite closely with our sports psych. um, And in the lead up to the World Cup, uh, we were doing a lot of work um, on – it was kind of like mindfulness on court, so um, decision-making under pressure, um, which – Ironically, in the grand final at the World Cup, I probably made a lot of bad decisions, which has taken me a little bit of time to process in terms of how I feel like I contributed to the team and all those sorts of dynamics. But performing under pressure is tough and I think it does come a bit with experience knowing how you react in certain situations. So for us, there's a lot of things we can control, as you probably know, and there's a lot of things we can't control in terms of like umpire decision or how we, what opposition we might play against. Obviously, there's a few things, but you're never going to know everything up front. So I think having an awareness of that is what's really helped me on court um, over the last few years. Is it difficult carrying that back home then because I can imagine if it's a big game or a big final or the world championship or whatever it might be that you probably replay moments back in your head over and over again (laughs) yeah I think when we came back from the world cup this year I I really struggled and probably carried into my form in the tail end of our vixen season I did end up it's not funny but um (laughs) but I'm pissing myself behind the mic but I had I got shingles oh that is not funny (laughs) no but it kind of is because I looked awful like it was all over my face but you get it from like for me it was really the stress part of it um which I didn't realize I was so stressed while we were away at the world cup because I'm relatively good at handling like I don't go like ah stress I just kind of be like there's a lot going on you know (laughs) there must must be quite good at internalizing it internally chaotic externally calm yeah but we didn't um when we lost the game over there it was only one goal but we didn't really get a chance to review or talk about it as a team because like the reality is what is there to talk about like it's kind of redundant to be like oh we didn't do this we didn't do this because the game's finished but for me I really struggled because Um, I didn't get a chance to talk through like what we thought had happened, like what I thought I might have done well, what I thought I did badly, which was a lot of things. And then you come back and you just sort of be like, I'm so overwhelmed. Um, So, I mean, it's kind of like they talk about it like a little bit of like a grief cycle, like it's similar to what people might. Um, might happen when they have like their wedding or something you build up an event in your your mind and all that sort of stuff and then you're like this is the happiest day of my life but ah like I can't stop crying so um and obviously I couldn't stop crying because I was devastated for the result but when I got home it was just like a, almost like a grief and it took me a while to sort of get back into the swing of things well that's what I wanted to ask you about and Michelle and I were talking about this last night when it comes to heartbreak and sport like mm-hmm. what would you tell someone about that concept, like being heartbroken over sport, when they might consider it 
frivolous, which mm. is absolutely not. Like it's not yeah. just a sport to you. It's not just a ball game. Like it is so much more than that. How would you describe it? Yeah, it's, it is difficult. I think when I came, when I came back, I sort of had two tangents of thought, like, cause it was such a great experience despite the results. So that's kind of like the line you, you churn out to people. Um, but on the flip side, it's almost like, it's like having your dreams shattered is what I would kind of describe it to people, even though like for me, it's taken me a long time to become a full-time athlete. And it probably wasn't something I even thought possible when I was a child. So my aspirations have probably only been built up recently to it. And the fact that I think when you're older, you put a lot of thought into things because you can see the reality of them. And for that, I would describe it if you start your own small business and it's something you're incredibly passionate about. Say you love muffins like I love muffins <laughs> and, I open, so far, yes. and I open it I open a cafe about muffins and I put all my money really I put all my time I put all my family I put all my friends on hold to start this cafe and it fails really is kind of what I would say and you feel like you have to you kind of hit ground zero a little bit and even though it is sport I guess for me it's my life at the moment so and it happened last year at Commonwealth Games I had my dreams shattered then and then we sort of build back up and you say this year this World Cup, I mean, I've been in the team for the last four years since the last World Cup, which we won. Um, and you just, like, I felt like I disappointed everyone because you're representing your country. That's a big part of it too. How do you deal with the fan aspect of it? Because I can imagine the fans would be elated and overjoyed whenever there's a win, but then it's also that that feeling of letting people down. How do you feel about fans in those scenarios? Oh, they were all really great. We had so many people tell us they were so proud of us. And I was like, I'm going to cry again. <laughs> <laughs> if I have any tears left. Um, but no, they're really supportive. I think there are a few which probably steer more in the keyboard warrior territory, but I'm very fortunate that they um, they do take a liking to some particular players or particular selections and we sort of get educated about that, not trying to read um, anything into it because like say they pick one player over another, people are always going to have opinions on that. Um, and those girls I think find it really difficult. Do you read those comments? I don't. Others do because they are quite prevalent. So say I, Diamond's put up an Instagram photo of me, the comments below it, if I'm tagged in it, there could be some saying she shouldn't be in the team, she played awful, like, and they do moderate it a little bit. I sort of, but yeah, it's tough. One thing we wanted to ask you about, there was a pretty big conversation in our Facebook group when this happened, is that earlier this year a video went viral of a Magpie player, Kelsey Brown, being berated by oh, her coach yeah. Rob Knight. <laughs> and there was a lot of commentary online that he was being too harsh, too hard on her. A lot of other people saying it's pretty sexist assumption that to assume that female athletes can't take it when male athletes do. Mm. What's your take on that video? What was the conversation like within the sport about it? Yeah, I, I did watch it back. Kelsey and I are actually quite good, um, quite good friends. And unfortunately, she recently did her ACL. So she's had a pretty, a pretty tough year in terms of just the media storm about that. For her, it was pretty hard to handle. I think she just wanted to crawl into a hole and wait for it to, to blow over. And for them, I think they would have sorted it out privately, but to have people speculate on it so publicly makes it really difficult to Awkward, process. right? But he is the only male coach. I think it probably does come a bit back to how female-dominated netball has been for so many years. And Rob's a really great coach, but he's the only real male coach in um, our elite level at the moment. So I think he probably copped a little bit of criticism in that regard as well. But you can't – I mean, the um, – Broadcast footage doesn't really give you the whole story anyway because you can't see Kelsey's face and only see Rob talking to her. So mm. it's a bit, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it had to do with people weren't used to seeing the dynamic of a man, an older man, come down on a mm. younger woman player. Yeah. I think it was simply that, that dynamic. I don't think, like I've watched a lot of netball and played a lot of netball before I gave it away when I was like 19, but it didn't, to me, seem that hard. Yeah. It seemed like it was a really honest and a little bit brutal conversation. Mm. But as far as competitive sport goes, that's the like territory, is, is it right? Not part and parcel. I think it's yeah. I thought what people probably weren't getting is the fact that that was the week. So we um, played the World Cup final on Sunday. We flew back from the UK on Monday. I landed back in Australia on. Tuesday at midnight and then we they played another game on Saturday after we'd played ten ga- like eight games of netball in 10 days, had lost, had our dreams shattered at the World Cup, sort of had everything come down. And I think that probably was the backstory that people didn't realise to it in terms of the fact that like 
I just told you that I felt like I was going through like a grief cycle. So if Simone had done that to me, I probably would have started crying on that <laughs> <laughs> I don't cry all the time. Sorry for anyone listening. But, but yeah. Now that we've um, kind of touched on the intersection between men's and women's sport, mm. we are interested. We want to get your insight into where do you think pay is at Ooh. with women's sport and where do you think it is with netball in specific? Yeah, we're, we've been in a bit of a grey area, I think, for a little time between professional and semi-professional. We're definitely not the highest paid sport. I think cricket has that pretty much covered because they have a very great collective bargaining agreement in terms of how they share the revenue. And for them, it's kind of a split decision because I think it's really an amazing that they have sort of a male counterpart that they can kind of piggyback off for the meantime until they become self-sufficient and for netball that doesn't exist we don't have that so but I do think sports are in like a little bit of a competitive race themselves to be like we're the highest paid female sport no we're the highest paid female sport like it's a little bit bad competition no it's not as long as there's I think real backing behind it so yeah I live off what I earn playing netball now which is a really great position to be in it's probably enough for me uh, to live comfortably off but it might not be enough for me to make a living off in comparison to being like an AFL player of my level. Well, some AFL players who are the best in the country, so we're talking like the Dustin Martins and stuff, who if it was equivalent to netball would probably be around your standing, right? They would be in the grouping of the top. You don't have to accept that label. We'll put it on you. But the stars from each team Mm. in footy would be equivalent standing to you because you're a star in the Vixens Mm. and you play for Australia and those players are earning upwards of a million a year. Yeah, it's a lot. And it's not comparable to that. No, so a lot. I mean a lot of the money for the AFL comes from the broadcast rights and I think sponsors knowing that it's on such primetime TV. So that's what's been the really big push from us in terms of we've been very lucky to have Channel 9 come on board in this um, joint venture with Netball Australia and Telstra. And for us, it's about trying to get eyeballs on. Like we've moved gradually but slowly from one of their secondary channels to their main channel, which has been really great. Um, And that just means that if people are flicking through they can find you. You can find it a little bit easier. You're not relegated to the 99 or 90, I don't know what channel Gotta it go was. looking for it. Yeah, you've got to go looking for it. Is there any resentment there? And I know that your answer might want to be diplomatic in this kind of context, but if I was the best netball player in my country just about and I was being paid that much less than the best football players in our country, it's mm-hmm. hard not to feel like it's just brutally not fair. <laughs> or do you? can you not waste energy on that? Uh, I don't think it's it's I mean it kind of is unfair but it's completely different I mean in hindsight though like if you fought like backtrack five years I probably would have only been getting paid twenty thousand dollars so I think the comparison has to be within my own sport rather than like to yeah to the boys but I don't know and it's kind of tricky right like what can be done because it's kind of a chicken or egg scenario do the broadcasters need Mm. to give you guys a shot and promote you and push you or is it the sponsors that need to come on board it's kind of like who's going to move first to make sure this gets the spotlight and the attention and the money that it deserves yeah there was a thread I think in your group that I commented on and I do think the fact that I used to be a part-time athlete although it was really challenging was a blessing in disguise I think a lot of athletes struggle when they come through like especially AFL boys when they don't have the time and place when they're you know 18 to 20 to find what they're interested in to find friends maybe outside of sport who don't really care about AFL at all like I do think it was a really fortunate position to be a part-time athlete because I got to go to university I got to go to an occasional 21st uh, when my schedule allowed hooray (laughs) Hooray. she's normal (laughs) yeah I guess with more pay comes with more responsibility and that's something I've learned over the last few years where my identity has changed whereas like now I'm an athlete like that is my profession when people, because that's, you know, that's the most common question when you ever meet anyone, like, what do you do? And I go, oh, I play netball for Australia. <laughs> <laughs> Playing netball for Australia would be psychologically grueling and physically grueling. Has there ever been a time across your career where you've thought, is this worth it? Because that happens for a lot of athletes, right? Where they have to kind of self-reflect and be like, is it worth what I'm going through, what I'm putting my body through, what I'm putting my oh. mind through? Yeah, our training is pretty, pretty tough. And the games especially, I think, um, being able to sort of get yourself psychologically prepared every game is really difficult. But no, I don't think it's probably only in some of the preseason running where we're doing repeat sprints or stuff like that. I go, 
oh my god I just don't know if I could do another rep <laughs> and they're like eight to go I was like okay <sighs> we'll turn and run let's talk expiration dates for a second because does this idea that your career could be stolen from you from something outside of your own control ever weigh on your mind something like injury like oh you, yeah <laughs> your career essentially could end and it's not particularly like you like I don't want to strike for you now that we're talking about it like, <laughs> just having an existential crisis all gonna end. not at all but I guess in a way that many other careers can't just mm. end at the click of a fingers. Yours can. Yeah, um, I guess. And netball is globally known for its really harsh impact on ankles and knees. And I've got shocking ankles. Fortunately, my knees are okay for the time being. But yeah, it does impact you a little bit. And I did go through a patch after I had a few kind of less um, exciting injuries that I kept visualizing something really bad would happen every time I would step out on court, which happens to a lot of players who come back from serious injuries, but you end up working through it, I think, um, with our sports psych and things like that. And you, you know, at the end of the day, like I know I could probably roll my ankle walking on a a flat uh, piece of concrete. So why not try and jump and land on people's feet at extreme heights, you know? Yeah, why not? It's almost (laughs) part of the drama of sport though. It's one of those things, but adds to the narrative of it. Like some of the injuries that come through AFL, for example, like, yeah, they're heartbreaking, they're horrible, but that's the drama. Oh, you like it, watching right? it, do you, Michelle? No, 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 not at all. <laughs> but me the entertainment. No, no not at all. But like, I think it adds a bit of depth that, yeah, so much of this is out of your control and it's the people who can come back from those things. Well, it's also or... you're pushing your body to the nth degree, right? Like yeah. that's the beauty of sport. Like you are literally taking your body to extreme lengths in order to play a game. Well, one of my favourite moments in sport was when Bob Murphy got up after the Bulldogs grand final in the AFL and he had missed out on the grand final because he was injured, but the coach, Luke Beveridge, actually welcomed him up onto the stage really and gave sad. him the medal. Like things like that, they they do add a bit of depth and a bit of meaning to what's happening, right? Yeah, last year we had um, Maui, who is our player from Malawi, go down and do her ACL. And for us, that was all really tough because we felt really awful for her and she was such a critical part of our team. But for her, netball is her entire life. Like she um, is from a really regional part of Malawi. Like it's not a third world country, but it is part of Africa. Um, which, I mean, they don't have a lot of money. So for her, Nepal has been life-changing. Like she's changed her entire family's life. And for her, she did her ACL and she didn't, the concept of having surgery was so foreign to her because no one back home has surgery. Like if you do your ACL somehow playing Nepal, you don't play anymore. So for her, the journey to get back and play was really incredible because it wasn't just the usual, like, yes, I've done my ACL, 12 months of rehab, yada, yada, yada. There was the whole other bit to it where she had to get really strong again, even though she'd come from the background of just sort of being really naturally talented and naturally athletic. So that's been a really great story for us as the Vixens this year. And it was great seeing her come back onto the court because oh. she, I think she came back on in the last quarter of a game, yeah. right, for a few minutes and the whole crowd yeah. was cheering and excited. And that adds to it as well. It was gorgeous. And you see all the hard work that goes in behind the scenes and, um, you know, you don't get to you don't get to play. You do all the training, you do all the gym work, you don't actually get to get out there and play, which is what you do all the training for. So yeah, it's been it's been really great. A bit more of a frivolous one, yeah. But because just before we jumped on the mics, you were talking to us about how diamond selection is coming up in a few weeks, <laughs> yeah. and we were like, "Hey, what's that process actually like? Like, do you get nervous? How do they tell you? Can you walk us through that a little bit about how people feel around it, how competitive it might be, and how they actually break the news to you?" Yeah, I mean, we normally, we they pick a diamond squad. So normally it sits at about 18. And then for each tour, they pick a team of 12. Oh my, that is like literally like picking them off. Yeah, so they call you alphabetically. And because my surname is a W, they give you a five minute window where you get um, a yes or no from the coach. So you know when the call's coming. Yes, and normally they're late, which is very infuriating for me, who's right at the bottom of the list. I'm sort of staring at my phone. Waiting. So what kind of time are we talking? Um, normally they start at about 9am in the morning and then they'll go through to about lunchtime with specified breaks. They've got a whole schedule that they send out. But a couple of years ago, they only recently probably moved to the phone call um, sort of thing. They used to do it in underage teams where they'd have all of us sitting in a room and they'd call out the team. And if you're in the team, you got to go and stand out the front of the group. And those who weren't picked had to like clap for you. It's very sadistic you know I remember that with the <laughs> under 15 state team and it was the worst day of my life and I went oh God. <laughs> character building hey so what do oh. they say to you in that phone call uh they say hey Joe, how's it going and then they go <laughs> pretty good tell me yes or no <laughs> you 
have been selected or for a couple of tours I missed out on when I was in the squad initially, you have not been selected. And one of them, I got the phone call when I was at Deloitte, like I was just down to the floor and I was like, thank you so much. Hang up. And everyone was like, how did you go? And I was like, didn't make it. (laughs) Is that literally it? You have, you haven't make it. Thank you so much. Hang up. Yeah. And you get the opportunity to get feedback at a later date. And there also is an appeal window, um, which I'm not actually sure how, um, even when I wasn't selected, I decided not to appeal, but maybe I should have, you know, you've got to have some balls to appeal that decision. (laughs) And what grounds can you appeal? Like actually I'm a better player than you think I am. Yeah. That's the thing because for us, it's so everything in netball is so subjective. It's not like swimming where the two fastest people get to go um, or athletics, you run a certain time, you qualify. For us, it's all about connections within the, within the team, how you work with other certain players. So, And you might think you have a really great partnership, but the selectors might be like, mm, no, not, not as good as this player. Well, it's like depending on chemistry, right? Like particularly with things like goal defense and goalkeeper mm. you guys are almost in a little marriage in a netball team and that if the chemistry is not there again that's something that might be out of your control yeah it's a tough one <laughs> I, I don't actually think that I can handle it and I think that brings me to my next question in that do you think that you are either wired to play professional sport or you're not or that can be taught Ooh, I think it can be taught I think for me um I went through my younger years of playing netball with relative success with relative ease um, and it probably only took me the first few years I was in the Vixens, which was amazing to get offered a contract, but I barely played. And for someone who had been like tick, 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 um, I found it really difficult to sit on the bench for an entire year and not get the opportunity to play when I saw other players my age. And it all depends on like where you choose to play and you never know what opportunities will come up. Um, but I found that really challenging because I found it comparatively quite easy in terms of making state teams or uh, making national squads and then I hit a little bit of a roadblock and I think that kind of spurned me on to really sort of I guess reach another level in terms of like the intensity and training and the dedication and all those sorts of things. When did you begin to consider that it would be a career or like a a lifetime thing for you that you'd probably be making Australian teams and stuff. Because from what I remember of you, you were obviously so, so talented. But when we were younger, it wasn't like you were no. thinking you were going to make the Australian <laughs> team one day. It wasn't even on your radar, really. Not, not really, which um, still blows my mind. Like when I was at the Commonwealth Games last year, like I went to the Commonwealth Games when they were in Melbourne in 2006. And back then I never, like I was just a really big netball fan. And even when we were going through high school, um, I used to go and watch like the Phoenix and the Kestrels play but I, I know a blast from the past, past. what OG. is a kestrel i have no idea a kestrel oh yeah because everyone knows is what a bird is. were you a, kest- a vixens or a kestrel fan i was vixen i was vixen. oh well it was it wasn't it was, it was phoenix, phoenix back then. Kestrels. oh it was phoenix i was phoenix i was a phoenix purple. fan yeah. but my mum was a kestrel because my mum loved caitlin thwaites and caitlin thwaites was a kestrel goal <gasps> yeah, she was. when she was like 15 yeah it really feels like the biggest blast from the past i just <laughs> like the purple the purple, like purple versus great, yeah. orange i was like kestrels were always that little bit worse than the phoenix yeah and sherelle underdogs Sherelle McMahon played for yeah. Phoenix, yeah. They were very successful. They were like the – they won the championship however many years in a row. But, yeah, I never really – even when I was younger, like I think it wasn't – it wasn't that I didn't see it because, you know, you talk about how you can't be what you can't see. But I did used to watch the netball on um, on Sunday when it was mm. on the ABC. Oh, my God, memories. Uh, yeah, I know. But I don't know. I think I wanted to be a tennis player. Like I loved tennis. Like I wanted to play, like, you know, be – like my dog's named after Billie Jean King, the tennis player, not Billie Jean, the Michael Jackson song. But I think it probably was when I ended up moving to Canberra that I could sort of see um, a pathway for me. And I've been very lucky to have really great coaches along the way who must have seen something in me which I couldn't see in myself. And there's been, I mean, with sport, there's a lot of luck that falls your way. So for me, going into the Vixens knowing that Bianca Chatfield would potentially retire in a couple of years and then with the Australian team after the World Cup they had a lot of defenders who retired all at once and I had my time (laughs) yeah it just seemed like it's you know things fall into place like that and I'd had enough experience at Vixens and they decided to take a chance on me and yeah I think it's it's crazy I know I'll probably I don't know how long I'll play for maybe another I might go another cycle which is like a four years to another world cup and com games if i'm in contention for selection how old would you you'd be nearing 30 by that yeah point. i'd be 29 that is interesting <laughs> because that's often an age where lots of people start thinking about settling down and families mm-hmm. and i know you're single right now but how have you experienced that 
problem amongst teammates and stuff because women might want to get pregnant around yeah. the age of 29. And, and up until two years ago, there were clauses in female cricketers' contracts to say that they could not sign on unless they weren't going to fall pregnant. Mm. Like, is that their implicit pressure? Is it conversations that you guys have? Like, it's an interesting idea. Yeah, so we have, um, with one of the new collective bargaining agreements we worked on with the Players Association, we have um, a pregnancy policy now. So if you have uh, if you have a child and you come back, the club covers care for your child to come with you if they're under a certain age bracket and also if you fall pregnant during the season which I mean it's a fine edge sore because for us we only carry a team of 10 players so if you lose one especially if they're critical to your team not lose or if they step away due to pregnancy it is a little bit like uh like hopefully that was not planned because if you're planning it it's a bit like you're letting us down yeah step like in. You, sh- you should have told us that you were planning to do that a little bit to a degree I would say because it throws out the entire planning the club has done in terms of team selection um, and it's really hard to find players of certain calibers to replace um, players who get injured or if they would step away with pregnancy during the season because all the other players are signed to clubs mm. and there's only so many um, netball players to go around but yeah it's a really do, tricky issue yeah and I, yeah if, if you do um if you do step away with pregnancy they like they pay out the remainder of your contract so um Chloe Watson who played with the Vixen she's also born in 94 like all of us and um, she uh, fell pregnant last year during the season and she stepped away um, and yeah she's very excited she's got a little book little boy called Will. He's very cute. He's going to be super tall. Her um, husband is Kurt Tippett, uh, who's okay, also yeah. like a small giant. And Chloe so, would be like over six foot. Yeah, she's the same height as yeah. I am. Yeah, oh, that kid has to play sport. <laughs> no pressure on <though>, him. <laughs> Joe, what do you think about your identity after netball? You touched on before that you're happy that you worked part-time mm. because it gave you a bit of a footing outside of sport. Yeah. Do you think about your life outside of netball? Do you want to maintain like a touch point to netball in a coaching capacity or otherwise? Media? Oh, yeah. I I don't know at this stage. I really like what media things I have done, even within sports media or outside of it. But you have a podcast that people should subscribe to. What's it called? Yes, it's called That's What She Said. (laughs) It's a great name. (laughs) Great name. It's it's run through Sportsbet. So you can sort of see their uh, niche that they're going for there. But it's (laughs) myself and two other um, athletes, Georgie Parker, who plays in the women's AFL and used to play for the Hockey Roos. Um, and Bubs Barbieri, who was the captain of the Matildas for a couple of years. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm currently doing my CFA, which is Chartered Financial Analyst, so that'll take me a couple of years, and that probably will take me through to however long I play for. But I don't know. Like, I loved working at Deloitte. I thought it was great. I'm not sure if it will be um, for me post-Netball or whether I will go back out into the corporate world in a different capacity and then maybe come back and help with netball um, with some of those skills I can learn um, outside of it potentially. Yeah, there's so much to come for you. And I think this the question that we ask at the end of every episode is what does success look like to you? And I guess in a sporting capacity, I'm really interested in your answer. <laughs> Uh, what does success look like to me? I think... Is it getting those two extra goals at the World Cup? Yeah, I mean, it, I mean when you look at it, being world champion or being Commonwealth champion for us at netball is the pinnacle for what it means when you're in a successful Australian side. So that's probably something I'm going to continue to chase, hopefully for the next four years into um, Birmingham and the next Netball World Cup is in Cape Town. So I would love to go to that one. That'd be nice. Okay. <laughs> Just plant the seat now in case the selectors <laughs> are listening. And then, would like to go to Cape Town. <laughs> yeah. And same with the Vixens. Like I, We came really close this year to winning a premiership, but that um, club success is obviously it's a completely different beast in terms of playing in tournaments, which is com- different as well. So those two are probably what I would like. And we, we talk about for uh, the culture in the Australian team for us, you never really own your position on court. You're only really a custodian of it for a certain period of time. And for us, it's, you know, you step into the footsteps of someone who has represented their country with pride and with determination. And you hope that you can add your own little spin for however long you get to wear a certain bib or the gold dress out on court. So that's probably what I would deem success. And then off court, I guess all the work I'm doing with the Players Association to try and make um, the pay conditions better and the work conditions better for players who come into the sport is something I would like to think that the group of us who are doing that, that will be our legacy. Do you think that, I mean, I know that was meant to be our last question, but give me one more. Do you think (laughs) that it's too idealistic to say that women's sport is having a moment or given how long you've been in the sport, do you feel like 
it is and women's sport is coming away to being recognised <laughs> in a way that it should be? I think it's coming a long way for it to be recognised as it should be. We've been fighting long and hard for more media coverage. I do think it's it's not ironic but, I mean, when you think about it, it's mainly men who make the decisions at all of those corporations. So for them, I think they're probably – I don't want to be too uh, – Cynical. pessimistic but I do think they've probably seen the value in terms of the commercial behind it which is why they may have been pushing it to the forefront but I mean if that's the reason behind it I think it's still great that you know girls can play football and get paid for it or same with like soccer and cricket and all of the above because you know we have such really you have such a large drop-off at sport and I think competitive sport is really great for women because we're told you know that we have to be a little bit placid or we you know you might be too aggressive or it's the same as the woman who's in the corporate environment who wants to stamp on people to get her way to the top like it it never was our position in society to play competitive sport and I like to think that you know it's been turned on its head a little bit and you're part of changing that a little bit, yeah. <laughs> Joe, you've been a delight. Thank you so much for joining us. We are so appreciative of you making the time. It is in your break, but still. <laughs> yeah, I've got nothing to do. I've got <laughs> the rest of the day. I'm going to walk my dog, go lie in the sun, make progress on Boy Swallows Universe. Keep and then... us updated in the Facebook group. Yeah, that's true. I'll start my own thread. <laughs> Joe, the Joe West thread. Thank you so much, Joe. No, thanks, guys. Thank you so much for listening to this In Conversation episode of Shameless with Joe Weston. If you loved hearing from Joe, follow her on Instagram at joe underscore Weston. If you enjoyed this chat, we also have interviews we think you'll enjoy with the likes of Edwina Bartholomew and Brandon Jack. We'll put links to their interviews in the show notes. As for us, well, as always, we're on Instagram at Shameless Podcast. We will see you guys next week. Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse, if you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.